we're going through a series at the moment called Empowered. It's, it's really about the work of the Holy Spirit and what he does. Uh, the Holy Spirit is uh, the third person of the Trinity. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And we've been looking for a few weeks uh, about that. And um, I just remind you of this from uh, what Jonathan, oops, what Jonathan first uh, uh, shared with us, which was this. We should expect to experience God in ways that are real, not just theoretical. And the Holy Spirit is central to every aspect of life. And openness to the Holy Spirit is key to how we become formed, how we become whole people, and how we live in this world that God's made. So so just uh, by way of recap, that's where Johnny started us with this series. I'm going to zip back up here for a moment. Um, and you might think, you know, I think this is Pentecost Sunday. Are we past Pentecost Sunday? We're past Pentecost. Oh, we even past Okay. But um, nonetheless, uh, <laughs> the thing is, you might think, oh, great. You know, well, uh, what's the topic today? So this is number six of the series. This is, the topic today is called Receive the Holy Spirit. And um, you might think it's, uh, it's pretty fundamental, you know, receiving the Holy Spirit. We're going we're gonna to look at that. So this is uh, what we're going to try and cover. So um, there's a question just to start off with. Uh, are we watching the repeats? or uh, doing something new. What is the good news? How does God want us to respond to it? How do we get the best start in life? And how do we go on and make room for the Spirit? So that's what I'm hoping that we cover. We just uh, saw that um, from Johnny. But the the um, the thing is, um, you probably think, you know, it's, uh, it's a pretty important thing, right? But I just wanted, um, before, I, before we get into the detail, I just wanted to share... Um, a couple of images with you. So this is uh, this is something I'm very familiar with. I'm from the UK. We have a lot of this, and uh, and and that um, poor cold person huddled under their brolly, trying to get from one place to another and get back into the dry, is our experience very much of rain. It's a bit cold. It's a bit miserable, and you kind of want to, you know, find your way out. Of it. And I had this image as I was just preparing this talk, and I had two images. Of that image. I have this image as well, an image a bit like this. This is, uh, this is uh, in Africa, and this is uh, a group of children, and they're out, and they're dancing in the rain because they're overjoyed that the rains have come because the rains ultimately make all of the difference. They, they, they're key to the crops growing. They're key to life and security and sustenance of food. So when the rains come, they have a very, very different response to the rain coming than, than certainly me as a Brit and sometimes here we are, oh, yeah, it's a bit cold and drizzly and we'll kind of hunker down and try and hide away from it with our brolly. And um, so so I just wanted to share those uh, just to kind of put that scene into your mind about how is it that you respond to the presence of God? How do you respond to the presence of God? Is it kind of something that you... Kind of it's just a thing that happens in life and you kind of work your way through. Actually, are you open to embracing and joyful about uh, the work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit? So, um, now it's it's a pretty important thing, right? So if you think about Jesus talking about uh, when he talks to Nicodemus, he says, you know, uh, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and the Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised. Flesh gives birth to fresh, spirit to spirit. 
You must be born again. You, which is plural, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, you can't tell where it's going from or where it's going to. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And the sense of the Spirit, the word for Spirit, in Hebrew, the same word for Spirit, for breath, for wind. The wind of God, the breath of God, the Spirit of God. Being born of the Spirit and born of the flesh. Being born again a second time. Nicodemus doesn't really understand it, but it sounds pretty fundamental. It says you must. It doesn't sound like it's an option. So, so clearly this is an important subject, right? We could think as well about, you know, when Jesus had risen from the dead, he's with his disciples, and uh, just before he ascends into heaven, and he says to them, you know, uh, don't leave Jerusalem, wait for the gift. In a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they're asking him about, well, is this, you know, is this about restoring Israel? All that kind of stuff. He says, look, don't worry about that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. So this was absolutely critical for the, uh, for the disciples. It was the very first thing Jesus said. He said, don't hair off and try and live this life and bring about all the things I've told you to do, like going into the world and, and making disciples. Don't Before you do that, just hold your horses a minute. Just wait because there's a gift being promised to you. So right early on. Um, now... So that sounds like pretty fundamental and pretty you know, early on. On the other hand, many of, many of us probably in this room have been Christians for a while. And one of the things you could say, as I started with that thing, is, is this like watching the repeats on TV, you know? It's kind of quite comforting, but you kind of know it. You've seen the plot before and you go just go around again. It's kind of nice. It's kind of nice to keep seeing it, but, you know, we, we know what's happened and that's just, just a comfort factor, but, you know, it's kind of all, all done. Well... And there is a there is a challenge for that because if you look at this is uh, this is in Hebrews the writer to Hebrews and one of the things he says to them is uh, you know we need to go on beyond the elementary principles of Christ let's go on to perfection or maturity not laying again the foundations and then he talks about six foundations and four of those are just I've highlighted in, in yellow there repentance from dead works faith toward God the doctrine of baptisms, and the laying on of hands. And also a couple of more, like resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. But he says, that's the, this is the foundational stuff. You know, this is a starting point stuff. So we don't want to end up just kind of keep going on repeats. You know, we have to go beyond that. But it was something that was, um, I think, you know, it, it's a set, it, they're, they're the basics, they're the fundamentals, really, of of Christian life and walk. So so today, what I really wanted to do was to help us get clarity on a couple of key things, okay? And that's this. What is the good news and what does God ask of us in response? So we're going to see this understanding of receiving the Spirit as part of that, as part of a wider thing that happens that, that was involved in the context. And the first thing is, to understand what is the good news, what is the gospel, this thing uh, of Jesus Christ. Let's uh, we're gonna just bear with me a second. I'll shuffle my notes here. Um, so, first off, then um, the good news of, of Jesus Christ. You know, I love that. I love the opportunity just to explain the good news of Jesus. You know, one of the and the reason I, the reason I love it is this. Right, I um, when I was growing up, I was believing up little boy. 
choir boy. Cute voice, really, really nice voice, right? And that meant that I was in church a lot. I mean a lot, like four times a week, okay? Wednesday night even song, Friday night practice, Sunday morning, uh, uh, and then, and then uh, matin, and then uh, even song in Sunday evening. There would be a lot of being in church. There'd be a lot of singing, and there'd also be a lot of listening. And I heard an awful lot of things. And one of the things that really struck me when I finally realized the gospel was I'd been there all that time and I hadn't realized that there was something that I needed to respond to. Because it had never really been laid out in that way, or at least if it had, I'd never heard it. Even though I'd heard word after word after word, lots of very interesting things about different bits of the Bible. And actually, so it's great for us just to sometimes take time and say, let's remember this is what the gospel message is. So let me give you a quick rundown on that. God is good, he's kind, he's holy and he's pure and we were made to know him and to enjoy life with him. Okay, that's the first, first point. The problem is that for you and me, our sin, our selfishness spoiled that relationship. It spoiled our world and it cut us off. It separated us from him, it fractured things. We became alienated and estranged and we were just going our own way, living for ourselves. And I guess we can all relate to that. We can all think about, if you think about in your life, your relationship, there have been times when things have become fractured because, you know, you or the other person done something wrong and it, it breaks a relationship, doesn't it? And that's exactly what happened with us and God. But the good news is this. God loved you too much to leave things that way. So he sent his son Jesus to do something about it. And Jesus came. He lived a holy, sinless life. And yet he was put to death. He was executed. An innocent man taking the punishment for all the wrong things you and I have ever done. Isaiah, writing hundreds of years earlier, predicted this. He said, we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us to his own way. And the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the wrongdoing of us all. So when Jesus died on the cross, he was paying the price for all the wrong, all the things that fractured that relationship between us and a holy God. All the times we've fallen short and been selfish. And God showed he accepted Jesus' sacrifice for our sins by raising him from the dead. So now there is a way, in fact the only way, to be forgiven and reconciled to God and be friends again with the Holy One and know eternal life. Paul put it like this, he said, the wages of sin is death. Sin earns, its, earns just death and destruction and separation. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that is terrific news. There is an amazing gift, a, a gift that was bought at the price of the Son of God laying down his life for us. But it doesn't just happen. It's not like osmosis, you know, just soaks into you. There's a choice that you need to make. The most important decision of your life. What will you do with the free gift of forgiveness that Jesus bought for you by laying down his life? 300 years ago, Isaac Watts put it this way. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So if you've come to believe this, what will you do about it? That's the essence of the good news, is that there is something available that can deal with all the things that would separate, have separated us from God. So I just wanted to 
reiterate that. And you may have heard that lots of times. You may have responded to it, but you may not have. It may not have really, really sunk in. So it's great that we can share. That's what the good news is, that there's a way back to be reconciled with Father God through what Jesus has done. So what do we do? How do we respond to that? Which is a critical question. What does God ask of us to respond to that offer, that amazing news? Well, have a little look. Um, let's look at the very first time people heard this good news. And, and, and what, did, what did the people conveying that news say about how they were to respond? Now, we can look at lots of different times in, these are times in the book of Acts. Uh, and they're all a little bit different. But there's a commonality there um, uh, across different times that people responded uh, to that. Now, we don't look prior to Acts because prior to that point, the Spirit hadn't been given because Jesus hadn't ascended. And by the time we get to the letters, as we read from that thing in Hebrews, well, as far as, as, far as the writers of the letters are concerned, that was all sorted because they were just the elementary things and they were getting on and teaching about other things. So what we do is we look at the book of Acts and we get to see how did that good news get explained and what did people, what, what was required to respond to it. So here's a critical passage uh, that from that first time. This is Peter in Jerusalem and um, he ex he's explained about Jesus. He said, look, let all Israel be assured of this. God's made this Jesus who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And this is what Peter said to them. He said, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, maybe even as far as Auckland, 2,000 years later. Um, it's for all of us, that promise, that gift. And as you can see, he continued to warn them, and then those who accepted his message were baptized. So there were four things actually going on there, and they're all kind of highlighted, really. Um, so let's, um, let's understand a little bit about what they are, just from that. Very simply, how we respond to that message that there is free forgiveness, there is forgiveness, free gift, is first of all it says repent, repent from your sin, and repent towards God. Now we can think about that, like yeah, the prodigal son's a good example of that great parable in the Bible. Goes off and spends his father's inheritance, and then finally it says he came to his senses, so he started to think differently about it, and he said, "I'll go back to my father." And then he actually did something. He turned and he. He, he went back. And then when he went back, he, he went to his father and he said something. So he thought something, he did something, and he said something. And that's what repentance is. Getting a different perspective on my life. I might have thought I'm fundamentally a good person who slips up from time to time. And I think differently, actually. I see, you know, the things I've done wrong have separated me from God. So I'm grieved at my sin. So I think differently about what I've done and what my life is. I think differently about God than I did before. But then also that turns into things that I, I do and things that I say. So I might confess my sins. I might say to someone, hey, look, you know, I really messed up. I, Lord Jesus, I've, I've, I've been going my own way and I want to change that. So you, you verbalize it. 
We also see with Zacchaeus, great example again of repentance. Jesus goes for a meal with him and he, and, and he says, you know what? If I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give them back four times what I, get, what I cheated. And by the way, I'm giving half my possessions to the poor as well. So it, it, it changed his life. There was a change in his thinking and his heart. He responded to the grace of Jesus. And that was repentance because it was a turnaround. It's like a, a 360 degree turn that affected his mind, affected what he said, and affected what he did. That's repentance. And that's one essential for responding to the gospel message. Okay, if you want to receive that free gift, you have to repent. You have to turn back toward God. The second thing in there is we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in that passage just read, it was really clear that they'd come to believe that what Peter was saying was true because they were cut to the heart. They said, what do we do? They'd got a sense of, this is true. We are those who are, you know, have been party to the fact that Jesus was executed. And, and we, 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 if this is true that he rose from the dead and he's the one who's going to come to judge the living and the dead, wow, what do we do about that? So, so they've got a sense of understanding and trusting what is faith. Confident trust in God and trust in the truth of the good news. And it's the second of these four essential ingredients for us. Now, faith is lots of things, right? First off, it's historical because it's based on facts, not feelings. It's based on what happened and on understanding what was going on, the significance of what happened. But secondly, faith is personal. You can't, you know, it's not just that you're part of a group. It's about you. You have to make a choice. Faith is verbal as well, just like repentance. It says, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So there's something about speaking out what you know to be true. And it's also practical. It's not just assent to facts, but it's about you know, what you really believe affects your life. Now I'll tell you a story, something that I would do. This is, a, this is very much something that worked in the pre Pre-9-11 world, okay, so I was talking about this uh, in a, a Bible college in Scotland. As we were talking, I, I looked over to one of the people and said, oh, by the way, yeah, there's a bomb under your chair. And, uh, and the person said, oh, yeah, yeah, right. And uh, they didn't know that I'd actually mocked up, I wouldn't do it today, but I'd mocked up, uh, mocked up what looked like some six of dynamite with an alarm clock with some curly wires and put it in their chair. And I said, do you want to have a quick look? And she looked, I'd show, show it if it was there. But the thing is, and everybody laughed, right? And we kind of moved on because they kind of knew I probably wasn't really going to bomb the place. Um, but that's the point, right? If they had believed it, I would know that they'd believed it because they'd have been out of the door. So faith affects what we do. We show what we believe by what we do. So faith is practical. And it's also continual. We believe we go on believing. So both of those things, repentance and faith, they're things of the heart, right? They start from the inside and they work out. My heart, my mind, I come to a different understanding. I think differently. And then it plays out. My repentance plays out in my words, my deeds. Similarly with faith. I come to have an inner conviction this is true. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say it's true and I have to live like it's true. So it's inside out. And these other two things are a bit more outside in. So they don't start inside and work out. It's something happens outside and then it really affects us on the inside. 
So being baptised in water is an interesting one. It's quite a religious thing as far as we understand. It wasn't really religious back in the day. The word baptised was used all the time. You might talk about someone being, if they're bankrupt, they'd be baptised in debt. You know, if a, sip, if a ship sunk, it would be baptised, you know, because it had kind of gone under. If you're dyeing cloth, you'd baptise it, you'd put it under the water and it'd come out a different colour. So it was just a simple word, meant a bit like immersion. So what, what was what's that all about, really? It's kind of a bit strange, don't you think? A bit strange? But it's a physical act which, when done with faith, God works. He does something in us which cuts us off from the past and helps us to grasp that we're done with our old life. Um, a guy called David Pawson writes, he, he, he has these two great phrases. He says, firstly, it's a bath for those who are dirty. And secondly, it's a burial for those who are dead. So there's a bath for those who are dirty, you know. Ananias said to Paul when he was uh, converted, he said, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away wash your sins away, calling on his name. There's that sense of, my sins are forgiven, but as I go down into the water, I can, I can, I can graphically understand that they're being washed off me. And similarly, you know, a burial for those who are dead, when... When we go into the water at baptism, when we go into the water, what we're remembering is Jesus dying and being buried and then raising to new life. So we have this amazing experience-based image from the outside. And it's not magic, just like this, the bread and the wine is not magic, but there's something physical that sparks our faith and God intends it that way so that through that faith, he does something powerful in our lives. That's how it works. That's why baptism is an amazing thing that has a real effect on your life. So if you've not been baptised, you better get baptised. Okay? If, if you have, in your responding to the gospel, you say, oh, did, I, did, I, did I repent when I, when I first heard this gospel? How did you respond to it? If you didn't, better work on that. Have I come to believe it's true? Probably have. That's why, you, why you're here. But maybe you didn't get baptised because our, our world's kind of screwed up and made complicated this whole thing of baptism and it's really quite simple and quite straightforward but we've kind of made it a thing that you know maybe you have to go through a load of classes and you know you got have it as a graduation ceremony or something because you really really understand christianity a lot better that's not really what it's for it's really something and it was if you look in the, the book of acts typically people got baptized the very same day they first came to believe that jesus was who he said he was the very day or if not the very day pretty soon after so it's not like some later thing or something special thing you've got to wait that graduates you to a next level it's the fundamental it's a bit like when a baby comes out and you kind of wash it you gotta clean it up right just at the very first start in life and that takes us on therefore to the fourth area here which is receive the spirit breathe we see this promise here in this passage and in all those other acts passages as well and you know as I read those different passages, it's always, everyone's a little bit different. The sequence is a little bit different sometimes. Sometimes they get baptised and then someone rocks up a little bit later and prays for them, lays hands on them, then they receive the Spirit. But um, always it's mentioned and always, you know, these four ingredients are around when people are responding to the God, responding. And again, a bit like baptism, we've probably made this a little bit complicated, you know, um, and yet we see it was one of the very first things, you know, Jesus said, you know, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them, baptizing them in water, baptizing them in spirit. 
Um, and, and again, it can be seen, uh, it has been seen in the church sometimes, this idea that, well, you're going to get the second blessing and you're going to be a, you know, and it, those of you who've, who've received the Spirit and you've spoken with, with unlearned languages, maybe your prophets are, well, you know, you're a first-class Christian and the people who haven't done that, well, they're second-class Christian. And lots of people were, the, theologians were pouring over, what's the status of somebody who, if they've done one of these things but not one of these other things? And, and you know what? The Bible's not that clear about those intermediate statuses. You know why? It was never intended to be that way. It was never intended to be that way. The norm that we see is you repent, you believe, get baptized in water, and then you receive the Spirit. And then you crack on with life because those fundamentals are done, as it said in Hebrews. So um, so we're not going to waste a lot of ink on that and on, on you know, and a lot of time on thinking about different theologies of partial stages. The critical thing is, this is a multi-state. This is a. There, there are a few ingredients here, and God just wants you to respond and be firing on all cylinders, to be fully thriving after your spiritual birth. And there's lots of words that get used for receiving the Spirit. It talks about a promise, a gift, a deposit, renewal, being given and being received, being baptized, being filled, drinking, being poured out on, falling on, coming upon being a seal or being an anointing, all biblical languages. Um, but the thing is, receiving the Spirit is a definite thing, right? You can know that it's happened. So when Paul went to see the Ephesians, he said, you know, have you received the Spirit? Now, that'd be a bit odd if he was asking them if it was impossible to tell, right? How would they know? But but he knew that he could ask them and they'd know one way or the other. And um, similarly, you know, if... Someone asked me if I'm married. I kind of know, you know. I've I've got a bit, a bit of a clue. Who is this strange person in my house every day, you know? But but the thing is, we we've we've taken a step and we're sharing our lives. So so we have a common life together. So I'm really clear that I'm a married person. What happens when we've received the Spirit? Well, here's the thing: the Bible doesn't really say anything about what we feel. But what Jesus said is like it's it's uh, it's like a stream of living water bubbling up within us and overflowing, out of the mouth the the heart overflows, and um, we can see in Acts two they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke spontaneously with unknown languages, so it came out of their mouth. Cornelius' household they were filled with the Spirit even as Peter was sharing the message, and they were praising God. There was spontaneous speech coming out. Praising God. In Ephesians, uh, uh, sorry, the, the, the people in Ephesus in Acts 19, it says they spoke in tongues, they spoke in other languages, and they prophesied. So there is a sense of this first time that we receive the Spirit, we're baptized, immersed in the Spirit, that it will probably bubble up to something that comes out of our mouth in some way. So, um, and that was the norm, right? That's That's a perfectly normal thing. Now, because of our world and the way that we've kind of complicated things in the church sometimes, not everybody has been through all four of those stages straight away and therefore has the best start in life. Um, so sometimes, like Paul did with, with Ephesus, you know, there's a stage to say, hey, let's just put that right. Um, and, um, and in fact, Paul talks about his own experience becoming an apostle. He says, you know, Jesus came, Jesus was raised and he appeared to all the other apostles. And then he said, and lastly, he, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. So Paul was saying, look, I was a bit abnormal. It wasn't the norm. But you know what? God's got grace for that. God's okay with that. 
Um, and, uh, you know, and for all of us, uh, it may be that our experience of responding to the gospel has has been just like Acts and all those four things happen within, you know, a day or a week or whatever. Fantastic. Do you know what? If you're a little bit like one abnormally born, that's okay too. The important thing is that we get there. I wanted to um, just share my own story. So I, um, after I realized the truth of that message, I was sitting in a coffee shop in Nottingham one day and someone was just sharing the, the good things God had done for him and I suddenly realized this is all true. This has got to be my whole life. And that was the point I probably repented and believed. And then I got involved and stuck in with various things. Um, it took quite a long time before I realized I needed to be baptized. That was probably a few years later. Um, and uh, and one thing that happened about you know, receiving the Spirit, you know, I, people, you know, that I went to various meetings and people said, hey, you know, shall we pray for those people who want to receive the Spirit? I'd be like, yes, that'll be me, yeah. Maybe. And uh, I'd be prayed for, and I'd be like standing there like the Rock of Gibraltar, unmoved, nothing happening. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, well, and, and they were great because they said, you know, don't, don't stress it, don't worry about it, it's fine, just keep trusting in God. And um, so I went on living my Christian life, and then uh, there was one day when I was, uh, I was just cycling through the traffic in the city of Bath on my way up to the university. And just that morning, for some reason, my heart was just bursting with joy. I was just really, like, full of joy. And so I was just sort of singing as I was cycling along. It's a mad guy. And I was just singing. I was just singing uh, to God, really, just singing praises. And and as I kind of came up to a particular roundabout, um, you know, where there's a couple of lanes, you've got to be a bit careful, I was slightly distracted by the fact that I suddenly realized that the words that I was singing weren't words that I knew. And I was like, oh. So what's that then? Okay. So I thought, okay, I'll sing those, those, that little phrase again. So I sang it again. And I didn't fall off, which is great. Uh, and then a few more words came, and a few more words came. And that was like, so God filled me with the Spirit. He gave me the ability to speak and unlearn language at that point in time. And uh, yeah, and that was just it. And the reason I share that is because God is so gracious, and he'll meet with us however. You know, whatever has gone before, whether it feels like a normal or an abnormal. But nonetheless, you know, it is right that we um, we have an expectation that this isn't a complicated thing that can be drawn out and take lots and lots of years. That actually you can respond to God in repentance and faith. You can get baptized pretty much straight away and you can receive the gift of the Spirit as well. Because that's what God wants for us. He wants us to fully experience all that he has for us. And he wants us to respond in all of those ways. Now, we're probably out of time here, but I just want to say one final thing here, which is all those things are events that lead to something ongoing. So us deciding to think differently about our sin and turn toward God, turn away from sin is something that we, we continue to do. We continue to mess up. We continue to need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, says Romans. And we continue to, we know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us. We know that sometimes we might be going to offer our gift and realise that your brother's got something against you, you need to go and put it right. So there's a sense in which we keep on repenting, we keep on turning toward God and away from what we know to be wrong when we mess up. We also live a life of faith, a walk of faith, that single step of faith, I believe it's true, turns into every day. I live in the light of that truth. You know, Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. 
God asked Abraham to walk with him. Micah said, walk humbly with your God. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, said Paul. This life is an adventure of faith. It's trusting and trusting and trusting and trusting, ongoing. Similarly, in relation to baptism, having that physical experience of baptism really helps us when we feel the pull of sin because we can remember what happened. You can remember it. And, and it helps us to do this thing that God commands us to do. Count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. If you don't believe it, you won't live like it. My old self was kind of buried at sea, you might say, you know, buried under the water. I can remember it. I was raised out of the water. I'm alive to God. God did something decisive as I obeyed him, and I'm going to continue to claim it and live in the good of it. And finally, keep on being filled. Be filled with the Spirit, it says in Ephesians, in a word that doesn't mean a one-off event. Uh, a tense that means go on being filled, keep being filled. Rather like a stream of bubbling water, as Jesus said, flowing from it in as a common flow. So, I'm going to uh, finish back at this image that we saw at the start. And ask you a few questions. Have you repented? Have you changed your mind about sin and God? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and come to realise he is who he says he is? Enough to trust Jesus with your life and your future. Have you been immersed underwater to show publicly that you're uniting with Jesus in his death and resurrection to wash away your sins? Have you done that since you came to believe? If not, no problem. We can make it happen. We can arrange it today. We can do it in a matter of, could do it this time next week. We'd be delighted to do that. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you had someone lay hands on you and pray for you to receive so that your words of prophecy or unknown languages and praise come forth? If you can't really say yes to any of those things, well, why not put it right today? We can pray with you. We can make arrangements. You can speak out. Your, your repentance and your faith. All of those things. And if you've done all these things, are you living a life that continues to do these things? I feel like it's about continuing to extend manakitanga, that sense of, which is a Maori word that kind of has a sense of um, receiving with honour. Because the Holy Spirit is a person, so we receive with hospitality, with honour him into our lives and make room for him and keep on making room for him so so that's that's all I had to share today I'm just going to ask Matthew to come up uh, just because I think uh, it would be great if we just respond to God and respond to his word this is this is fundamental stuff right it's not just TV repeats but actually it's something that we want to be we all want to be walking in the, all the good of what God has for us. We want to fully respond to the gospel message because we want to be saved, not only safe from a life without God, but saved, kind of repaired, made whole, made right, able to live a life in the spirit.